Hello, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday worship. Uh, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, we're, we're doing something maybe a little bit different, hopefully very beneficial to you. Uh, we're going to try during the course of the year to do two or three of these Wednesday nights where we interview UW or Edgewood College or maybe Madison Area College alumni, people who've sat in some of the very same places you're sitting right now or have been part of the ministry here at Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel, have been a student in Madison and now are in their professional lives, just hopefully to give a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of uh, just insight into what life is like as a Christian in the world and, and how to honor God in, in the things that come up in your life. And tonight, we're very blessed to have uh, UW alum and chapel member Mike Cook here. You can clap for him later. Wait to hear what he says first, and then you can decide whether you're going to clap for him. I'm just kidding. Mike's a great guy. You're going to enjoy it. And we also, we also have the blessing of our musicians tonight, uh, Nolan and Will and, of course, Steve, uh, leading our worship music. So we're going to begin tonight in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so the way we're going to kind of make this work tonight is... Uh, uh, Mike and I have talked a little bit about this, so there's things that he certainly wants to share with you, things that I'll ask, but then we'll also give you a chance to hopefully ask some questions at the end, or Mike is agreed to stick around a little bit afterwards if you want to chat with him after. So Mike, why don't you just, uh, we'll just get started by, do you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about uh, your, your history as a Wisconsin student and, and where that's led you since you graduated? Will do. So... First off, for you, I am not a professional speaker. <laughs> um, the second thing is I thought about coming down here, and I'll tell you about myself here in a second, but I thought I'd set the stage a little bit first. Can you hit me okay? Because I, I think that sounds okay. Uh, if I was you sitting in your seat as a student, and I was 25 years ago, so I was a student down here from 1996 to 2000. Uh, I lived at Whitty Hall, second floor, Beale House, some of you may have been there, okay? So it's not that long. Uh, Granger High Boy, okay? Uh, I was at part of the old chapel, so I really, as a student, was never a part of this building, which is an amazing opportunity that you all have, just to congregate and meet and socialize, etc. cetera. Um, I was a bartender at the Nitty Gritty. I've heard the birthday song way too many times, okay? <laughs> But I thought, what would I be thinking if I was a student sitting in your shoes tonight? First off, I'd probably be thinking this. Okay, some guy's going to be talking about life tonight. And I'd be looking at my friend John going, oh, that doesn't sound too interesting. <laughs> and then I'd be like, well, was he like in an accident or something like that? Did he have some struggles? Um, and then I'd probably be thinking, well, what's for the snack? <laughs> so if I get you checking out, no problem. My hope is, in prayer and all honesty, is I say something that maybe is meaningful. Uh, you take home tonight. Life is, when you come to UW, maybe I'm just going to bounce off the board a little bit. That's all right. Okay? You, it's what you're here for. One share. of the things that, yeah, sure, share. <laughs> so one of the things I first remember, and some of this might not be what I would say, uh, the pastor's blood pressure might go up a little bit while I speak tonight. We'll hopefully keep him in the synod by the end of the night. But. <laughs> First day of school for me, when I came to UW, and you guys probably went through this too, orientation was like day one or two, you went down to, I think it was a student union, they had a big gathering of the freshmen, and that's where you got your, bo your box of condoms, you're told about the LGBTQ society, and drugs. Welcome to UW-Madison. 
Okay, I grew up in a small town. Uh, that was a huge step for me. So when you come to this school, there's a lot of great things and great benefits, and you're going to go through a tough challenge. I mean, if you get through this place, I, I've told this to many people now, there is no way I'd get through this school anymore. It's the, the, how smart you have to be uh, is just at a level to me is just unbelievable. Um, but there's also every ability to sin and make mistakes and stupid decisions as well. When he came to town, I did not know him. I didn't, right? No. Never met. I said, PB, I'm going to tell you, the best advice I have for you is this. The devil controls State Street. We're one block off. Don't forget that. And there's a lot of truth to that. Can't me be, be a Christian and be successful and honor God, you know, one block from that. But boy, oh boy, the temptations are real. So I grew up in uh, Monaco, Wisconsin. I don't know if any of you know where Monaco is. I do know of a few people in the crowd who know where Monaco is. Um, I, full disclosure, I'm a preacher's kid. My dad was a Lutheran pastor. I did not grow up rich. I grew up on Andy Down and funeral food and you name it, uh, getting into UW. A lot of, some of my family members followed the pastor track, not everyone, but getting into UW would be you know, kind of a big thing uh, for us and our family. Uh, one of five boys, I'm the youngest of the five, I'm a twin. Um, I graduated in 2000, and the reason I stuck around was mainly that all my friends hadn't graduated yet. So I thought, all right, I'll hang around, work and party to be brutally honest. And now here I am, what, 24 years later. And so uh, I started a business. Uh, I do financial planning for a living. Um, when I was a senior in college, I'll be frank, I honestly didn't even still know what I wanted to do. So for those of you who are sitting in the crowd, freshmen, sophomores, sitting in the crowd now going, I gotta figure this out. What's my degree? What's my major? If I don't figure this out, I'm, I'm on a bad path. I went and got a marketing and risk management insurance degree, and the main reason I chose marketing is there was a lot of hot girls. <laughs> That's the truth. I got through. When I, I got done, I still couldn't do marketing. I was a people person, but I couldn't market to save my life. So, should we I stop there? That, I didn't have that problem at the <laughs> seminary, Mike, so. <laughs> I would agree. So right, why well, we keep moving maybe, forward? Maybe just, just what experiences that you had as a student uh, that you look back on now uh, a couple decades later, what, what experiences as a student would you say have carried forward into your life? Probably the most meaningful, and this isn't going to be probably PC and what is supposed to be heard here, but honestly, most of the class stuff that I learned in school has done virtually nil for me. I mean... So if you need a test, you have a study for a test tomorrow, just take it from Mike. It's not that big of a deal. But it's, I, I'm sorry, it's a blunt truth. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and sugarcoat this and be like, oh, look, you took geography class, and what a meaningful thing that's in my life. I got through it, okay? What meant more to me, I think, is the relationships that you'll build, even just right here with each other. You don't know this. Um, those will be lifelong friends. For me, my closest friends are those who I, I met in college in my dorm floor. I mean, two of the guys I met on my freshman floor stood up in my wedding. Never met them before. 
um, is kind of a crazy deal. The, one, the guy across the hall from me said, hey, you're from Monaco. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I have a cabin up there. And I said, oh, what lake? And he told me the lake. And he started talking about it. I said, you mean Capone's place? Which it was. It was Al Capone's old hangout. He said, yeah, how'd you know that? And I said, who are you? <laughs> I was a little nervous. So um, those friendships are really big. The other thing is, is that when you go to college, you're, you're starting to grow up. You're being an adult, right? Mom and dad aren't around. So I don't know how many people are in here, maybe 80? All of you had a choice to be here tonight. Mom and dad didn't say, go to church, <laughs> be there, or go to class, or get a job. Uh, that's big. I know it sounds simple, but it's the truth. Um, I learned a lot of life, unfortunately, bartending at the nitty-gritty. I'll tell you, you get to learn a lot how people work, you know, work uh, what people are like, handling people. I spent one too many nights watching the sun go down and watching it come up. Um, I mean, I remember bartending Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, because I needed to, to make money. And that was back in the days when you could smoke in bars. So you can imagine 10 people blowing cigarette smoke in my face for eight hours a night. And I would go to church on Sunday morning. And Pat was back in Pastor Trapp's days. I swear, he would look at me and be like, what have you been through? You know I mean? Like, where have you been? And I just was like, I was bartending. You know, I wasn't even one of the partiers. Um, that was big for me. The, just being an adult, the friendships, um, maturing, it goes quick. I know one of the things, too, is that when you're in student, you guys have been students your whole lives, and now you're in college, and you're like, I am ready to be done. When you get out, I can assure you, you're going to say, that looked really good. <laughs> so Jordan in my office, he's uh, two and a half years-ish out of college. He went to UW, and I said, you're going to miss it. He interned for me, and then now he's two years out, and I joke with him once in a while. I said, Class looks pretty easy at this point, doesn't it? And he laughs and goes, yeah. <laughs> so just know that. Enjoy your time. I mean, it's, um, you might not have everything spelled out in life as far as you know, your direction of your career or your um, a major you know, or where you're going to live, but one of the lessons that I've learned in life uh, a lot is that you know, man, it's what the Bible says, is that man plans his steps, but the Lord guides your way. Mm -hmm. That is really true. And as you get older and you go through some of this stuff, you're going to probably experience that yourselves. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I try to remind myself that every Wednesday night when this group comes, they have a choice. They yeah. could be anywhere else yeah. and they come here. And what a, what a special blessing that is. All right, uh, let's transition just a little bit. So you, you, you graduated, you know, you chased girls to the marketing situation. But how is it that you got to the job that, that you currently yeah. work? Can you just like, how did that all work out? Uh, well, <laughs> not necessarily the best. So I started my career for a company... Um, I'll just tell you, it was uh, Lutheran Brotherhood. So now the company's called Thriving. So the reason I started there is they gave me 100 orphan clients. I was just coming out of school. Uh, I needed to get a job. Every other financial firm I interviewed with said they basically hired me, but there was no clients. So 100 is better than nothing. So I'm young. I don't know the questions to ask. And I got 100 orphan clients. They're all about $2,000 whole life policies that when I made those calls, it was like, you're the fifth guy in six years. No, I don't need to meet with you. 
And that was okay. Um, I got a great experience there, but they merged and the company changed and I really wanna do more financial planning things. So I left and I went to Anchor Bank and that's where I finished up my CFP, uh, which is Certified Financial Planner degree. And then I got some more experience and designations. And then I got recruited by the president of M&I Bank to be the lead financial planner in the downtown square, um, downtown. And it did not work out for me. And I decided to take a huge leap of faith and start my own business. And I don't come for money. So I can tell you the moment that, uh, when I was thinking about doing it, my I, it was like an act of God. <laughs> my father and mother were traveling home and there was an ice storm and they had to stay in Madison at my place. I haven't worshiped, now my dad's a pastor, okay? I've only sat in the pew with my father and mother, I think at his mother's funeral. Others, I have, you would, mm -hmm. you're a preacher's kid, mm -hmm. right? This doesn't happen. And so I got to actually sit in church with them. It was just odd. And my dad after church is begging me, don't resign. <laughs> so he comes from the generation of you, you know, work for a company, you get a pension, you get a retirement, and you're loyal, and life is good. And I was seeing it very differently. I was going, no, if I can go on my own, where I represent clients to companies versus a company to the client, that's a big difference. I can do what's in their best interest, not what the company's best interest is. And so I will remember my father begging and pleading me and the night before I resigned, he called me and said, please think on it one more night. And I told dad, I said, dad, I don't need, well, he told me, <laughs> we will not support you. That was okay. At the time, it wasn't. <laughs> the reason he said that is he didn't want to see his son fail. That's clear now after you get through that storm. Uh, the other thing is that was a father protecting his son. He doesn't want to see him in trouble. I said, Dad, I'll sink my own financial ship, but I need your emotional support. And so I, I started with two non-competes. What that means in the business world is that you cannot solicit any of your old clients or they will come after you legally. I was out of the base of my home. Um, I basically sat at a very humble, unfinished basement with a desk and a computer, and I'll never forget, for some reason it's like pounded in my brain. I put one file in the filing cabinet. Do you guys know what filing cabinets are? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I always have to ask for a phone yeah. book at this point, because we grew yeah. up with them. So. I put my file, I did my file, and I remember shutting the door and that thing going clank, that empty sound, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I'm in it. And I had no idea how I was gonna make it. All I did is I started calling everybody I knew and said, if I could just share with you what I'm doing and why. And it was, a door would open up here, and a door would open up there, and then doors would, you know, an opportunity wouldn't work out. And I lived week to week for two years. It's tremendous stress. Now looking back, I'm super thankful because I didn't have, uh, the next question is family. You're, I have three children, I'm married. Chasing girls in marketing didn't work out for me, okay? I got married later, I think I was 33 or something like that when Greta and I got married. 
we have three children. Uh, son Scotty is nine. My son Scotty has special needs. He's autistic and apraxic. That'll change your life. In hard ways, it'll also change it in positive ways. My daughter Kristen is eight, and then our son Samuel is three. So if I were to make that jump now, I, I would never do it. I could never do it. I'd be putting their mouths at risk. So I was young. Um, I'm at 18, 19 years in. I have two employees. It's a small business. Just because you're a small business doesn't mean you can't make a big impact or, or life's income. Um, and so for one of the subtle pieces of advice I would have for you is all of you don't have to go for work for Apple or Google or a big company. You know, don't just have that precursor that I've got to work for Pepsi if I'm going to be successful in marketing. You can go do really well at small companies too. And in fact, I may be sometimes argue even better. So keep that on your radar. You know, don't um, think that bigger is better. Okay, so two things I'm going to follow up on yeah. with what you just said. Number one is uh, you once described for those two years as you were uh, kind of working to get your business off the ground that uh, your dinners weren't always the, uh, the, the best. Uh, can you just share like what you ate on an average night, uh, you know, as you were struggling? Well, single. <laughs> um, what I would tell can I describe it this way? Yeah, go ahead. My entertainment budget was five bucks a week. So when you're 23 years old, come on, I mean, you guys are realistic here. I mean, you're single and 23-year-old male. Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to a bar and probably try to meet a girl. Okay? That was enough for two drinks. That's it. It's inflation. It's gone up a little bit since then. <laughs> and that's how I started, one night a week. Um, I would literally sit at my desk. And I, I, it's odd to be talking about this up here because I haven't shared this with a lot of people. I would sit at I'm my desk. Giving all your secrets. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no. <laughs> this is more of a personal, spiritual thing. It's. I would literally pray in the morning, Lord. I have no idea where my next client is going to come from, and I need it. Guide me on what I need to do today. Sometimes we'd just go to a coffee shop. Sometimes I'd go take a walk. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I'd call the client up I had seen three weeks ago and four weeks ago. Just see if you have any questions. I mean, it was great activity. And it's been amazing to look back now and go, wow, that person I met with referred me to their mother, and I worked with the mother, and now I'm working with three of their children, and I just pro bono advised the grandchildren. It's, Jordan says this to me all the time, like the tree is... Amazing. And so, no, I live lean and mean. I mean, you want uh, macaroni and cheese? You want, I mean, it wasn't steak dinners, I can tell you that. So. I think once you told me it was mostly bologna sandwiches and ramen. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it was lean. Yeah. I Our, wish it was still lean. <laughs> so here's the second thing. <laughs> Here, here's the second thing, and, and this is probably my favorite part of your story, Mike, is you came from a family where your dad was a pastor, and, and certainly he would have loved it if, if all of his sons had gone into the ministry after him. And yet I, I believe from what I've seen of you that you've done as much counseling and as much spiritual guiding of people as you ever would have done as a pastor. Can you just kind of explain how to our students how that's worked? Yes. Um, I played, I'm going to answer this. But I'll, so I played golf last Friday at Aaron Hills. Are any of you golfers? 
You know where Aaron Hills is? That was where the U.S. Open was uh, three, four years ago over by Aaron, Wisconsin. It's an awesome golf course. I was taken out there by a company. It was an excellent treat. Do you remember what the weather was like last Friday? It was 50 degrees, 30 to 40 mile an hour winds, torrential. I really didn't want to be there. But two guys canceled out, and the guy that was taking us with the company said, we're going. <laughs> like, all right, sure, let's do it. Well, on that course, the caddy started to ask me, what's it like to do what you do? What kind of skills do you need to have? And I said, well, what do you think I do? Because I think you're dealing with money all day long. And I said, you want me to be honest? Over half my job is counseling. So I'll give you an example. This morning, this is all off the cuff, by the way. I just figured I'd roll with it. This morning, I talked to a guy in Chicago. He just lost his dad. He just got married a month ago, and he just lost his dad uh, one month later. He is Christian, and I talked to him today on the phone. And I just said, how are you doing? And it was an emotional call. He says, one month ago today, Mike, my dad passed. And we talked about the void that's going to be in his life when he has his first child and other things. It had nothing to do about his 401k balance or allocation. Nothing. Should I tear away my threat? <laughs> sure, that's, that's pretty new so to here, me, so. this, is, this is like, one of the things is, you know, you guys are going to go to class and you're going to hear about theory and this and that and when you get in the real world, like this is towards the end that you were going to ask me this, but I'm just going to share it now. One of the things is, is that real life is different. So two months ago or so, we had a client die, and we had, um, when that happens, it's, just think about it. If one of your parents dies, it's going to be one of the most emotional, difficult times of your life. You're probably going to be under a ton of stress. This client went to an attorney, I've learned a little about the details, went to an attorney and called us and basically said, we want the money moved. Send it to us. Well, it doesn't work like that. There's legal steps you have to follow, so that there's forms you have to fill out, etc. She decides to blow a gasket, threaten my staff, and says, my, bro my brother's going to show up and kill you guys and basically tear down your office. Rightfully so, my junior guy says, I'm going to repeat what you said because I'm taking notes. Said it verbatim. She reassured him that's exactly what she's going to do, and he's going to be there by the end of the day. Great. I'm on vacation. I'm just getting ready to go fishing with my daughter who really wants to go fishing. She loves it. You're kidding this happened. Okay. Call the attorney. Do a three-way call with the attorney. Get the attorney on. I said, your client, by the way, I have Jordan on here with me, just said blah, 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 blah. Jordan repeated for her. I said, you can tell your client if they want to act civilly, we can handle their accounts. And if they don't want to act civilly, I'll take money off their accounts in 10 minutes. You decide. Awkward. We did get a call back. She was more civil. Last night, she, we had to connect on the phone. She now lost her dad. She lost her dad first, excuse me, and lost her mom a month later. She's hit with a one-two punch. Last night I had a call with her, and I got home late, and I talked to her for an hour. She just opened up her heart. She's divorced. She has two children she does not have a relationship with. She just lost her mother. She just lost her father. 
We never talked about money. We talked about life. So one of the rules I have at my office, and it's going to work really well if you follow this rule too, treat others the way you'd want to be treated. I didn't learn that at Granger High. I didn't learn in the education building. I didn't learn in Science Hall. I learned it right here. There are some simple truths to the Bible, and I'm not paid up here. PB never asked me to say anything about God's word. That if you, uh, I'm serious. I know. That you are so applicable to life, and it sounds like so simple. Is it that hard to treat others as you want to be treated? Yeah. Look at our society. <laughs> Open, you know, you, uh, I was here a few weeks ago. You preached on this. Just mm -hmm. being kind. Uh, it goes a long ways. That woman was in my office tonight. We filled out forms. She actually opened up about all our finances. She told me she actually wants to maybe keep her money with us and have it moved all the rest of it to us. Who would ever thunk? But when you're dealing with, you know, in my world, money is a very personal thing. It's usually predicated on a trust relationship. And we, you know, when something happens, sorry, Brad's in the room. He's an accountant. <laughs> they definitely don't call the accountant. They call the money guy first. So you're pretty close. Um, and so you get to know people on an intimate level. And one of the things that's neat is I'm not, you know, my dad, I'm sure would be, he would have loved it if I became a pastor. My, uh, I have a brother who did. I have another brother who kind of did some ministry stuff. Uh, my other brother went to school here and he does some real estate things. My twin brother uh, went to a different college and he actually does what I do uh, for a different company. And then there's me. And one of the ways that I've been able to, I think, be of, not just in work and in just counseling people that way or just being a kind Christian is that I've been able to bring a set of skills in a different way to volunteering at church. Should we just segue That's into That's great. That? That's the next question. So, so please. Many years ago, I uh, helped set up the counting system here. One person used to count the offerings every Sunday. First off, that's not quite good checks and balances. But, but it wasn't the pastor. Let's just no, think. No, uh... no. That's actually <laughs> in my system that I created. I said the pastor will never know. Um, why is that? Well, as a kid... My father took over for a pastor, unfortunately, that had to get kicked out of the church because of that reason. So my father was deathly afraid. He wanted nothing to do with that because he, he, he knew he walked in as a seminary graduate to a bad situation. And so the little effort that we put in, I think that system is still used to this day. We have counting teams. It's not a lot of effort or work. One Sunday a month uh, goes nice and quick. Um, I was asked as a student. Now, again, one of the themes I also I'll tell you is this, is that you're hearing the old guy talk up here, okay? And some of you are going to walk out of here and say, I am never going to be like that guy. And I'm going to tell you, a few of you in this room will be sitting up here one day and going, I am that guy. Because <laughs> it does happen. It really does. I, I can't believe I am at this point. I was asked as a student to sit on the chapel expansion committee. For those who know what that means, that means this building. 
So I was part of the old chapel, which was about one quarter of the size, not nearly as nice. You used to walk into a door, there's hardly any parking. You walked in a door, you kind of went to the right. Bethany, were you part of that? And then you, you went into the church, and it was kind of a long, dark church. There wasn't really a study area. There was a basement where you could have a gathering, but not warm or anything like that, and that was it. So as students, like afterwards, you guys would go have some snacks and hang out. We didn't really have it. It was kind of you come, you did your thing, you left. You certainly didn't go there to study, okay? And you didn't have, I think there's two house fellows. So sure, I'll serve on the committee. I'm sure I had a bunch of bright ideas that weren't followed. And I've been on it since. And we made an effort three plus years ago to try and raise funds to pay off the debts here. And that was during COVID. And the whole idea behind that was is if we could relieve the debt on this building, it was about $70,000 a year in expenses. If we relieve that, that funds another, you know, another person, another ministry person. You see the board back there. It's getting low. What to me is amazing is the timing of all this. So three years ago, this was the idea. There's a good chance, I believe, soon, that this debt is going to be possibly gone. Look at the timing of an international coordinator, international ministry person coming into the chapel. And that was starting to be supported by the Wisconsin Synod. You can't tell me the Lord's hand isn't in that. It's amazing. So, and I know you guys, most of you don't know about this and that's okay, but this building was finished in 2006 and uh, as of, it was it cost about between six and seven million, yep. if I remember right. And um, initially a lot of it was raised and paid off, but as of three years ago, uh, 2020, right before COVID, we probably owed about 1.2 million yet. And Mike and the committee that he's on kind of went to some people and said, uh, we really want to move the chapel ministry forward and the best way to do that is to get rid of uh, a debt that is, that is still there. And in three years, it's gone from 1.2 million to uh, just over, as the board says, 100,000. And of that, a majority of it is, is pledged by um, some people who have spread their gifts out over a couple of years. And so uh, there's a real good chance by that uh, early next year, next March, uh, maybe even sooner, that uh, you will be sitting in a debt-free building. And it just opens up a lot of other opportunities to serve you, the students, in, in lots of different ways. So. Mike will never take credit for that, and, and he would give all the credit to God, but he was very instrumental in that. I, Mike, I know we're kind of running short on time. I just have one last question for you because you, you hinted at it, uh, and, and, and I've gotten to know Scott over the years, your, your autistic son, uh, special needs son. Uh, I want you to just to, to just maybe share a couple of things, both positive and negative, about how that ch has been a challenge in your life and how it's been a blessing as well. <laughs> I'm going to hit you later. <laughs> this is a hard one for me because I'm going to be brutally honest with you. When you have, there's a statistic that just resonates. When you have a special needs child, it's hard. It is hard. It's a whole different path. 
the challenges you meet, their brains aren't the same. Their abilities aren't the same. So how do you know what apraxia is? Apraxia is that Scotty can't speak. So he has words, but for him to get this to this is enormously difficult. So this is by the way, he was our first child. So when you have child number one, and Grandma Herman told us this, she's like, you know, that's the hardest one. <laughs> and it's true, because you're learning. You don't know. You're just trying to keep the thing alive, for God's sakes, you know? <laughs> and so when you have it even more difficult, um, that, so 85% of couples with special needs children are divorced. Why is that? Stress. So it's a number I remember. And I'm not saying that, so I, why I remember that is that when the stress is ultimately high, you've got to, okay, there's a reason. Identify the reason. Now, positives. If you, we, you guys won't see us down here much. The reason being is my children are at Westside Christian out in Middleton. That they're, they're in third grade out there. Um, so we go to church there mostly at this point. We used to come to the chapel a lot more. Uh, the reason we go there is because they see their, their classmates. They see other kids they go to school with. It's important, okay? Um, they want to be there. So if you see Scotty, when, first off, he will follow the service like that. He will know, he will utter the Lord's Prayer. He will uh, say Apostles' Creed. When the blessing comes, he's going to help PB. You'll see him, he'll raise his hands, and he'll follow, and he'll do the whole thing. I never have to ask him to go to church. In fact, two weeks ago we were here, I said, why don't we hit the chapel at 8.30, and we'll go out to St. Andrews at 10.30. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, how many of you want to go to two church services in the next weekend? You told me about, you had to go to two church services. No, no, that, I made my children go to two church services. On Easter, it was a uh, like sunrise chaos. service, and then we didn't sing the right hymns yeah. that I wanted to sing, so we stayed for the sun or the yeah. festival service. They still give me yeah. grief about that. <laughs> the thing that Scotty to me shows is the spirit at work. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he doesn't. You don't have to question his faith. He's sometimes that simple mind is such a blessing. He doesn't complicate life. Jesus loves you. In his mind, he says yes. In our minds, we go, I, I know that. His body just says yes. Doesn't question it. And so, you know, and he, in many times, is actually an example to other people of his Christian faith. So, um, he's singing, I think, in a few weeks. He, his singing is different. It's kind of a yelling. It's kind of a... Uh, it's not in tune. So a lot like mine, then, yeah, is what you're basically, saying. Yeah, basically. Yes, basically. <laughs> no, and, but, it's, but it's heartfelt. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's cool stuff. And you don't choose it. The one thing I, I tell people is that, you know, when you see kids with special needs or special needs families, you've got to remember that kid didn't choose it. The other thing I always try and remember every day is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you ever read Tony Dungy's book, I don't know if you know who Tony Dungy is. He used to be the uh, coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then he was up at Indianapolis Colts. 
He's a really solid Christian guy. He has prison ministry stuff, this and that. But he has children, and I believe one of, it was years ago I read this, but it stuck with me. One of his children is, doesn't have a pain gene. So his child can't feel pain. Wouldn't that be nice? If I break my hand, it doesn't hurt. He said it's been awful because his son can put his hand on the stove and leave it there, which is not good. So his message is, is that even a pain gene is a blessing to you. And his quote, memories uh, are fearfully and wonderfully made. So that's something I remember with Scotty. And it's going to be different, like with special needs child too. I mean, I've counseled numerous people that have them. Um, your retirement looks different. Your path in life is different. I'll have him the whole way. So I remember counseling a guy years ago. He had a child at birth that he said, Mike, 10 minutes after I had the ch we had the child, he couldn't move his arms. And she couldn't move his arms and legs. And they had tried for like seven years. And he said, I was told she won't live a year. At that time, I think she was 27. He said, you know, it totally changed my life because I, I, I have to get a house that's different. I have to get a van or a vehicle. And I said, how do you handle that? And I remember him saying to me, he said, well, there's some positives too. I said, like what? <laughs> and he said, I have gotten to spend every birthday with my daughter. Every Christmas, I know my daughter's going to be with us. I know my daughter's not going to be in drugs and alcohol. I know she's not going to meet the wrong guy. Well, there is some truth to that, right? So I'm rambling a little bit. But it's okay. I, we're going to wrap it up because I see Emily and Annika trying to put the ice cream away so it doesn't melt ah, for the floats. Sorry, Annika. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, Mike, thank you so much. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for just pouring out your heart and giving us an idea of what it's like to live our Christian faith in, in the world. Uh, can you just join me in, in praising God for Mike this evening? Can I ask, say yeah. one, for one thing? One other good piece of advice I want to give you guys is this. Network. Meet people. Literally go up and talk to people in your industry, in your field, and say, what do you do? How do you do it? How can I learn from it? When you get out of school, okay, the message is the same at graduation pretty much every year. It's going to be, you've done this, you're ready, you're successful, give a donation to the university, <laughs> but you're going to dominate. And then what's going to happen is you're going to go as a nurse, as a financial person, or an accountant, or an engineer, you're going to go out and you're going to get your butt kicked. It's going to happen. All my friends, happen to them. And the idea is, okay, we'll come back now, get more education, and then you'll be ready. And that's okay. I'm not saying a master's degree or you know, extra education is a bad thing. It's just they don't set you up to be, you're not prepared. When you get out of here, what you've done is that you've accomplished something super hard. But that next step now in life is gonna be even harder. And get prepared to get your butt kicked. And if you say, all right, to an employer, I've gone five years of school of engineering, okay? And I think I have an idea of how to do some of it. But I certainly don't know all of it but I would like to come to your company and I would like to learn 
how to be a better engineer and I'm going to be proactive in that process. Huh. Employers will be like, hire them. I have people that call me, business owners. They'll ask for, do you know so-and-so for a, a, a good engineer or a good accountant or a good, I need a CFO of a company. You know what they typically ask? What's their character? Can I trust them? Are they honest? They don't say, what was their GPA? They could care less. And so remember those things. When you go in through life, like that goes very far. I know it sounds so simple, but it's so true. Um, I got a call from a, a guy not recently, and he's got to hire a CFO position. He's, he's like, I need to trust this person. He's vital. <laughs> and had nothing to do about his skills and abilities. He's like, you know, he knows when he hires, he's going to have good skills and abilities, but he can train them if they're a little bit not there. So thanks for the opportunity. It was really nice to be here tonight. So Mike will stick around a little bit after if you have questions of him. He does have a three-year-old at home that usually gets out of bed somewhere around 545, so uh, he might not stay super long, uh, but he'd love to talk to you a little bit. Uh, we have one more song to sing us out, and I'd love for you to stand as we sing this song because you've been sitting for a while. So let's join together in our last song. <laughs> <laughs> 